covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us. What a difference a week makes. When we were recording this podcast last week, the Brewers were coming off being no hit by the Cubs, and it really felt like uh, even if the Brewers found a way to sneak into the postseason, eh, what, what could you really expect of them? And now all of a sudden, they were able to take a series from the Cardinals. They were able to sweep a series from Kansas City. As we speak, they are in a virtual tie for the final playoff spot in the National League. A lot of things really going well for this club as they sit on a four-game winning streak following the completion of Sunday's win against the Royals. And now they go into eight games in seven days, three against the Reds, and five against the Cardinals, where it certainly would feel like if all the Brewers got have to do really is take those series. If you can win at least two of three against the Reds, if you can take at least three of five against St. Louis, that's probably going to be enough to get this club into the postseason. As we always do, let's get to our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you do want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, and if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can uh, subscribe and uh, leave a ranking and review, that would be fantastic. Our featured interview in just a couple moments is going to be with uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Balls. We're going to get into a lot of things. Just a, a couple things for me real quick before we do get to the conversation with Brad. First off, Brewers are doing what they need to do, and it's starting to kind of feel like the way September's have gone in recent years. Now, they don't have the September record this year that they had in recent years. I understand that. So the comparison, it's not an apples-to-apples sort of deal. But they're finding a way to play their best baseball. Uh, Getting a sweep against the Royals not only sets up this week so they really control their own destiny. Craig Council made the point that it makes it where they don't have to be perfect. They can lose a game or two. They'll be okay if that happens. The important thing is finding a way to win series. And with all the different teams that are in contention, I mean, the Brewers are not just chasing the Reds and Cardinals in the Central. Uh, they're also chasing teams like the Phillies and the Giants and the Marlins uh, for those final couple spots in the National League playoff field as well. So it's going to be a crazy uh, next week. I did think it was interesting. Ryan Braun spoke with the media following Sunday's game. I don't know if he's going to be back next year or not. I lean towards, yes, he is going to be back with the club, but it's sort of a 50-50 deal. And I really thought that he sounded like somebody who was essentially at peace with the possibility that he has played his final game at, at, at Miller Park or the ballpark that will eventually be formally known as uh, as, as Miller Park. And uh, if that's the case, obviously it's been, a, it's been a good run for him. He wants to evaluate what baseball even looks like going into next year, and I think that's fair. Do you want to go through another year of potentially playing in empty ballparks? Probably not. Uh, how normal will things be next year? I think we can all hope that fans are going to be back in the stadiums coming up uh, next season. Daniel Vogelback just continues to 
hit the baseball hard. Two home runs on Sunday, and as as more and more of his teammates talk about him, sounds like he has been just an amazing addition to the clubhouse. They do the uh, the positivity train stuff, and he was referred to as uh, the conductor of the positivity train. Josh Lindblom referred to him as that, and it's uh, it just goes to show you that sometimes moves don't work. The Justin Smoke deal didn't work. The Brock Holt deal doesn't work. But sometimes you find guys who can come in and can contribute. And uh, so far, so good for somebody like uh, Daniel Vogelback. So it's going to be a fun week. It's going to be a really, really fun week. Uh, does Does Corbin Burns have enough in him to maybe win the Cy Young Award? Does Evan Williams uh, win Rookie of the Year? Is he the, the top reliever in the uh, National League? Like, There's so many storylines even beyond the playoffs. But getting to the postseason for a third year in a row. And when you've got Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns at the top of your rotation, your team is is really built to be able to come up with a potential upset in that first round when it's a best of three series. So if you're going to play one of the best teams in baseball, as the Brewers would do, I mean, if they if they get in, they're going to be the sixth, the seventh, or the eighth seed. So you're going to play one of the better teams in the National League. You would much rather play them in a three-game series when you're able to pitch Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns in two of those three games than you would to uh, face somebody in a five-game series, seven-game series, so on and so forth. We'll get into more of that next week. Hopefully when we're doing the podcast next week, we are talking about the uh, playoff possibilities and what might happen. But there's a big week worth of baseball to get to before we can get to that. And with that, let's get to this week's featured conversation with Brad Ford. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extrains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Time to uh, have our featured conversation for this week's podcast. It is with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, this is a good time to be talking Brewers baseball after they put together a pretty solid week and are in a virtual tie right now for a playoff spot. I say right now, as in Sunday evening. We'll see uh, what happens over the course of the week. But all that being said, hi, Brad. Hello, Matt. Uh, they always seem to make it really exciting in the last week in the Craig Council playoff era, don't they? They do. and That's good. Um, so, you know... I- I've been really lucky. I'm one of the few people out there that has actually been able to sit in a stadium and watch baseball. And that's that's not lost on me that I get to do that. At times this year, it has felt... Many times this year, it has not felt as real as it would feel in a normal season. Just no fans and the lack of intensity and everything. Brad, this past week, I think the Cardinal series, and then probably a little bit to a lesser extent, but still important... The Royal Series, it really started to feel like that energy and that intensity and that excitement really started to feel like September baseball, and that that gives me a lot of hope for what we're about to see over the course of the next week. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of them are starting to turn it on. Christian Yelich, since uh, I think the second doubleheader of the Cardinal Series, is actually putting up a stat line very reminiscent of the last couple of seasons for him. Uh, So you're starting to see a lot of success out of that. I think seeing September Ryan Braun is always a great thing to witness. Um, A lot of guys are finally starting to come out of what seemed like regressive slumps that they should have come out from forever ago. And if they do it this week, it's going to be fantastic timing. And it's, 
it's a point now where with three games against the Reds and five games against the Cardinals, they've put themselves in position where they don't need help. Uh, they they control their own destiny, and they also Craig Council made this comment on Sunday. They don't they don't have to be perfect. It's not like they've got to go eight you know win eight in a row or even seven of eight here over the next week. If they go take two of three from Cincinnati, if they were to take three of five from St. Louis, that's probably enough to get them into the postseason. Right, just win series. Yeah. That's all you got to do, which is actually probably less pressure than they've been on in recent years. It's um. It's it's fun. It, it it feels like you mentioned, you know, September's of of past years. What is what has struck you about? Because it's not like they're playing just amazingly fantastic baseball. They're it's more the finding ways to win, and sometimes that's what September looks like. But they've gotten some timely hits. They've gotten some timely hits from some uh, folks that maybe you wouldn't expect the timely hits from. They've gotten really strong pitching. What has really kind of stuck out to you here over the course of the last week or so? I think most of all the timely pitching, it's so hard to ignore, especially with how amazing the bullpens being, they traded away their best bull, a top three bullpen asset, not their best bullpen asset, but at the time of the trade, he was easily a top three David Phelps and the bullpen has maybe gotten better. Yeah. When you look at what Drew Rasmussen, Devin Williams, Josh Hader, and now a healthy Corey Knable have been able to do. Let's throw Eric Yardley in there, too. Yeah, Eric Yardley has been amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, Freddie Peralta has been very good for what he's done. Of course, you always have to deal with the classic Freddie Peralta wildness and chaos. But w- especially when you look at some of the more analytic numbers, he has one of the best FIPs in baseball right now. And I, I think that's is the testament to how strong of a performer he's been this year and also why the Brewers decided to lock him up earlier this season, um, which I think is just a thing a lot of people have forgotten to happen because of how long this year feels. Hmm. So um, I think that bullpen has just been shockingly amazing. I mean, Brent Suter's also been good. He had a little bit of a hiccup today uh, and they had to end up bringing out Josh Hader. He's had those moments. He hasn't been quite as dominant as he was for them when they needed him in 2019 and he showed up and it seemed like no one could hit him. But he's also been, for the most part, pretty reliable. Uh, so it's it's been really fun to watch and everyone's been showing up in this last week except for Adrian Hauser. But thankfully the offense can pick him up when he's struggling. So it it's interesting the guys you mentioned because I have this thing where like uh, do I trust this guy or do I not trust this guy when it comes to pitching and we can go look at all the numbers and everything and yeah those I'm not trying to run away from numbers I think you know me well enough that I uh, I acknowledge the the importance but sometimes the eye test does matter and it's who you trust and there's so many guys I just flat out trust right now from a starting rotation standpoint. I trust Corbin Burns. I trust Brandon Woodruff. I I, uh, I trust Brett Anderson. I trust uh, Josh Lindblom based off him throwing so many strikes recently from the bullpen. I still trust Josh Hader. I trust Devin Williams. I trust Yardley. I do still trust Suter. I trust Freddie Peralta. Uh, maybe I'm missing somebody as I go through all these names. But the point of this is uh, on the on the Matt Pauley trustometer. I, I don't know in my years covering the Brewers if there are m- as many pitchers on the roster that I trust as there are right now. Right. 
I mean, you look at 2018 and you have the disgusting three-headed monster of Knabel, um, Hater, and Jeffress. And then you end up adding Corbin Burns to that mix. You end up adding Brandon Woodruff to that mix. Um, Woodruff, of course, in the playoffs ends up being an opener starter. But in the playoffs, like you have those names. But I think a lot of people were still weary on trusting Corey Knable because aside from that stupendous September, he had a pretty awful season Mm -hmm. outside of that month. Um, So really, you're looking at a rookie, a... And two really, really good pitchers. And at the time, going into the playoffs, Jeffers was starting to fall apart. Um, We know about his epilepsy. And there's, of course, other theories about what occurred with that um, that we don't need to get into. But it's... I think I feel even better, uh, to agree with your point, I think I feel even better about this group than I did that one. And that one was considered one of the most dominant bull, brewer bullpens we'd had the luck of witnessing happen. And when you're looking at Devin Williams might be at this point in time, the best reliever in the national league, if not in baseball, um, I, I'm not as well versed in the American league as I normally am just because it's been a funky year. And, um, <laughs> I, like I've let things pass without paying as much attention to them in the other league as I normally do. But I mean, and I don't think even despite the hate struggles hater gets into, I don't think those are as uncharacteristic as people are making them out to be. Mm-hmm. I think they maybe get a little truncated because of his fat dip in fastball velocity. Yeah. But I think like, Hater, if you look through his history, has had like singular bad outings before, um, where he has a bad outing once every two weeks or something like that. It, it, and I think that's what you really look at with Hater. He has the one outing where he walks five, and that wasn't as unhater as I think people like to think. I think what was weird about that was he missed all in one spot. Um, like everything was in the same spot outside the zone where normally he's wild in the zone. And even when he can't control his stuff, guys still got to swing at it. And his stuff is just such a mystery to everybody, even in Josh Hader, that they don't know what to do about it. So I, I don't worry about him as much as I think some fans have talked themselves into worrying about him. Uh, and we mentioned all the other names that are just so in, in, especially with recency bias, they've been just so dominant and there's so many ways you can flex those guys around, too, to give yourself a competitive advantage in terms of, okay, do you want a lefty to start and you want to do Brent Suter to start? And I can actually have these relievers go multiple innings because maybe I don't feel like pitching Adrian Hauser and the bullpen's deep enough that I can actually get through that without problem. Like I I think that's probably the best testament you can give to how strong that core or that group is. Yeah, we'll see what... Um... I felt like there'd be more questions asked about Adrian Hauser after his last start, and there really weren't, because I was expecting the, will Adrian Hauser make the next start question, and the classic Craig Council, that's a discussion that we're going to have to have answer, which is uh, which is what we have when, when they indeed have a conversation to have. If there wasn't that doubleheader against St. Louis on Friday, I think it would have been really easy to maybe skip Hauser's start and go with a bullpen game led by Brent Suter. But that doubleheader against St. Louis just kind of looms large where they might not have any choice but to give Hauser at least one more start. Well, it's either that or what, you go to Eric Lauer. 
Um, or Freddie Peralta. Or Freddie Peralta. If you don't make Peralta part of the uh, like the the tandem with Suter, if you try to get maybe four out of Suter because he's a little bit more stretched out, and then you have another day with Peralta, and you kind of have a couple bullpen days, knowing that you probably won't get much more than three or four out of Peralta. I guess maybe I maybe mean, that's in it. But what's what's going to be the like the the better scenario in terms of total wins for this week? A scenario where you throw Hauser one time, knowing that it might not go well just because he's not pitching great recently or a scenario where you're you maybe have to go with two bullpen games because there's probably gonna be at least one with that double header uh unless you do bring eric lauer back and you don't know what you'd get from him so you know one bullpen game is one thing but when you've got two bullpen games say in the course of three or four days if if one of those things goes haywire that could have a negative impact for multiple games Right. And right now he's lined up to start against Trevor Bauer in the third game of the Cincinnati series. You think they move Burns up for that my game? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Craig Council really likes to mess with his lineup in that way. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, uh, there's a lot of speculation on the Internet, not from not from beat writers, but just from fans that it would make sense. Maybe it depends on what happens in the first two games. Um <laughs> Yeah, something pitched by so we we know the issue with Adrian Hauser is that the book is out and that lefties hit him. Lefties just hit him. And when you look at it, you know, right-handed batters have a 598 OPS and left-handed batters have a 962. The Reds have some pretty good left-handed hitters in their lineup. Um so something that was floated out when I was talking to Paul Noonan in the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast today was that you could maybe mitigate some of this by doing like Brett Suter as a starter or piggybacking him with Brett Anderson and having like a scheduled bullpen game every fifth day um, because you're expecting with uh, Brian Anderson and uh, not Brian Anderson, Brett Anderson and Adrian Hauser that they're stretched out enough that you could probably get through seven, eight innings and only had to touch a little bit into the bullpen where then a bullpen game, you can have those four or five pitchers go through and take care of it that way. That still worries me, though. With the, if, if there was no doubleheader on Friday, I'd be like, okay. But with that doubleheader on Friday, it almost feels like I, I don't want to see the team be forced to go to two bullpen games in three days or four days. Right. Well, I wonder, I don't know if it's really like, I don't feel like it's your traditional bullpen game if you have Suter start that game. Yeah, I, so Suter start Wednesday against Cincinnati? Right, so Suter gets two innings, and then you bring out Hauser, and the lineup is theoretically poised to attack Brett Suter. Do you still set Suter up to be your opener for one of those doubleheader games two days later? Um, I, I just think you go to Lauer. I don't know. I, I mean, I know like the organization obviously is having issues with Lauer, um, and it has been working on those at the extended spring training. You get <laughs> they're not the working on that pitcher. right now at the extended spring training, <laughs> right? Well, and from my understanding is uh, because the playoffs are coming up, a lot of them were already sequestered, right? right? Yeah. So. Um, I think it's very obvious that Lauer is going to be the 29th man. 
because I don't know who else of the 40 man. Do you bring Topa out again? The like, I, I think he'd rather bring that stretched out arm considering what you're going into. Right. Like, I think Topa's done a really nice job, but it, what, at max, he gives you two, I would think. I don't see them bringing him even out for a third. Right. And maybe Bobby Wall you bring back. Um, Fire Rising is an option on the 40 man. I mean, but, or you can have Eric Lauer who is stretched out as a starter. And, he, I mean, all you got to do is have him represent your, your suitor. And go out and get you two clean innings at the start. Here's the thing. Brewers go win those first two games against Cincinnati, and then they throw Hauser on the third game, and they move on from there. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. is if uh, this is uh, The lucky thing is it's at the end of the series, so maybe you don't even need to think about it as right. much. And that was going to be my initial thought process on it um, but before it got lost in the minutia of how you can combine lefties to uh, safely match with uh, Adrian Hauser to kind of protect him because I thought uh, Paul Noonan had a great idea when it came to that. Uh, I I think that's the like it does. It might not even need to be this complicated because maybe when you're playing the Reds, y- your guys can you can have Woodruff and Anderson pitch well enough against Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. Cause that's the thing that sucks is you're getting the top three in the series. Right. So you have Castillo, Bauer, Gray back to back to back. Of those three. And I like, we can look at the numbers and we know who's got the best numbers this year, but so like, like the Brewers have had some success against Bauer this year. They've, they've also not had success against Bauer of those three. Which one is the guy that you want to face the least from a Brewers centric standpoint? It's not a brewer centric standpoint, but it is a brewer centric standpoint because he's burned him in the past. It's Castillo. Yeah. Yes. 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 From like a four ERA to a, like he's nearly sub two. He's been so damn hot. Yep. And he he's dominated them in the past. One hundred percent correct. That is the answer. Way to be. We can continue this <laughs> podcast without me hanging up on you. <laughs> I mean, like Bauer is still intimidating, right? He still is a one of the top Cy Young candidates in the National League this year. But the Brewers and have shown that they can get him. Yes, the Brewers have shown that they can get him. They have a lineup that sh- they have players who have been playing well, who are in position to do well against him. Um, I, so I I maybe unintelligently am less intimidated by him. Uh, Gray has been... He's been injured. It might have been because of his recent injury. Yeah. I wonder he has been less good as of late than the last couple of times the Brewers saw him. Gray would uh, probably be my second because he's kind of, it feels like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, it feels like the Brewers have had less success against him than Bauer. But again, the idea of he hasn't been as good lately and he's coming off the injured list and we don't, they could be rushing him off the injured list, right? Like, isn't he... Do I have this right? He's on the injured list and has to be activated for the game on Tuesday. Or am I wrong on that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he went on the injured list after a September 10th start. Um, and he has given up 11 runs so far in September. Yeah. I mean, they could be rushing him back off the injured list. I mean, it, you see those three guys are pitching and they don't announce it until today. Clearly, uh, they are, they're setting it up for this big series. They could be rushing Gray off the injured list. Yeah. I, I think speculatively that's realistic. Um, and I mean, like I said, 
he hasn't gotten through four innings. He has collectively four innings because he only made it through the first two thirds of his start against St. Louis on the first of September. Yeah. And then they skip him in the rotation and they go to him against Chicago on the 10th. And he only goes three and a third gives up five. So, I mean, he could also be pretty shell shook. Yeah, it could. Uh, and it's good. It, it's fun to have these conversations because I mean, Brad, we're sitting here like, and I, maybe you do this more often than than me. Like for the first time this year, it really feels like we can like break down what's going to be happening over the course of the next week. The games have the importance. It no longer is kind of under this umbrella of well, they're playing baseball during a pandemic. Like that's the. It's finally time where we can sit here and really lock in to what's going to be happening for the next week. Right, and it took significantly longer, mainly because they had the eight playoff spots. Yeah. So you have eight to fight for, and now it finally is like, oh, you have to win them or you're gone. Now it matters. Now like you actually watch the standings and they matter versus before in the season, it kind of felt like the eighth spot, especially for the Brewers, was a gimme. I don't know about gimme, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it did, the uh, the barrier to entry seemed a lot lower. I'll say that. I I mean, I definitely felt like it was easy, considering that they were the fifth best team in baseball last year and the or in the National League and the first best National League team the year before. Like, I felt like getting at one of the eight spots was just easy, <laughs> despite it being weird. I definitely took it for granted. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what do you make of Daniel Vogelback? <laughs> uh, well, I had to face up to that I hated him coming in. I didn't hate. That's completely misrepresentative in a hyperbo- her hyperbolic version of what is going. But, I mean, he just seems like one of those David Stearns guys, right? He finds a guy with a, a lot of background information that he likes in terms of a, a launch angle, hard hits, uh, looking at luck that he's facing, and his uh, batting average and balls on play. Uh, says, hey, Miller Park favors guys who are huge lefty power hitters. Let's bring him in, see what he does. And despite playing in fields like a triple-A stadium with Toronto, which has an incredibly short right field, but then is very, very deep in center. Um, granted, he only got five plate appearances with Toronto, so who knows what could have been there. He comes out with the Brewers and is hitting over 400, uh, which is just exactly what I didn't anticipate happening because of what he's been up to this point. Hey. Um, I I think we're getting a very hot Daniel Vogelblock, the one who ended up earning the all or and a trip to the All Star Game as Seattle's representative last year. Um, I mean, he's a career hit two oh five hitter. That's who he is. He generally hits in the low two hundreds. But you've been able to platoon him and set him up for success, pairing him with Jed Jerko to the point where you've been able to maximize the uh, situations that make him successful, and you have him under team control for coming on it like seems like everything that checks a david stern's box right yeah and you mentioned this and i I think it's worth kind of spotlighting a little bit more i think one of the things the brewers as an organization are incredible at is putting guys in position 
where they can be successful. You know, there's times where guys are being successful in limited time and fans are saying, hey, well, why isn't this guy in there more often, so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. I get it on the postgame show all the time, and I always kind of default back to the Brewers are really good at putting guys in position to succeed. So when somebody's not successful, when Justin Smoke's not successful, and Brock Holt's not successful, when Travis Shaw wasn't successful, and they eventually had to move on, not only are they not successful, they're not successful in an organization where they are given the highest percentage chance of being successful. So now you got Vogelbach walking in here, and he's being put in these positions where he can be successful and he's taking advantage of it. Yeah. Um, so it's just been a, it's the boost this offense needed. I think having someone be this incredibly hot is perhaps one of the things that gets people going. We know that offense gets other offensive players excited. So having a guy who's going to drive you in, who's going to hit two home runs in a game and really ignite an offense that has been completely stagnant for the last month and a half. I think it's so beneficial to a team that feeds off of each other's energy and hasn't really been able to do that because of partially from being spaced, but also because no one's hitting. So then you bring in a guy who's set up to succeed in a park like Miller Park. I mean, he doesn't even, aside from his hard hit rate, he doesn't really jump off the chart in anything else. So, I don't know. He's just a fascinating anomaly where it's the Brewers obviously have something on him and his success that set them up to see some like Vogelbach as something no one else was viewing. When they picked him up, like I remember I hit like or wrote on the Brew Crew ball page, Brewers replaced Justin Smoke with a player somehow worse than Justin Smoke. <laughs> and he's hitting over 400 with Milwaukee. <laughs> I, I don't know. They have something on there that I don't know. And I think part of it's just lefty power hitters smashed in Miller Park. I think part of it is that simple. But there, there's something else to see through a guy hitting – 85 coming into playing in Milwaukee and being able to see like, Hey, no, that's going to be a guy who can make more offensive contribution to our team than the guy hitting 200. Yeah. I, but I, I think there are a couple things. Um, and, and one is baseball related ones, maybe not baseball related. And, and you might agree or disagree with some of this stuff. First off, um, I think he's got a really good approach when he's just trying to be a hitter. It's a, the Sunday game was a great example. Each of those at-bats went 3-2. And Craig Council talked about after the game that he's got he's a big dude. He's a muscular guy. He's got enough power that he can shorten up his swing on a two-strike uh, hit, a two-strike attempt swing, and, and he can still hit it out of there. So his, his approach... He, I, I like it. He's a hitter first, and he's talked about, hey, you know, maybe he got a little home run happy after hitting the 30 last year and being an all-star, and he's just kind of tried to re-simplify things and go back to being a hitter. And then I also think he's talked about uh, finally being in an organization that he feels like they believe in him, and he's coming right at the right time because this is a team that has had success in September each of the last two years. Veteran guys, they're used to playing in the postseason. They know what it takes in the month of September to have success. So all of a sudden you drop him into a team that, A, is going to show belief in him because 
they you know the the values of this team are 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 that way that they they're going to show belief in their guys and he walks into a really competitive situation and i think you take everything that i just mentioned and kind of throw it into a pot and then you take a little bit of luck and you put a little of a hot streak in there and you get what we're seeing from him right now yeah and i mean he's always been or at least over the last two seasons, the one consistent thing you can say about him is he's elite when it comes to taking walks. Uh, he, last year, he was in the 98th percentile for walking. Uh, so in terms of the Brewers even just needing a guy who can work a count, he provides them that. And yeah. I think that's part of what you're going into. So yeah, when you add in then a sudden influx of comfort, obviously that goes a long way into how a guy can produce so yes i i think it's kind of that mix of perfect situation perfect uh atmosphere perfect mentality and we've seen change of sceneries be legitimate benefactors like everyone talks about how much they miss him now i don't think trent grisham is nearly as successful in milwaukee this year as he's been for the padres because I don't think I know, I know he was feeling incredibly guilty about that error in the wild card game. Yeah, I, and I think fans were judging him a little bit for that as well, not for feeling guilty, but for making the error. So I think it was healthier for him mentally to go and have a full major league season with a different organization. I think that's right, and I think. I, I don't like it when, like when we do the comparisons of well this guy's doing this for this team so he'd be doing the same thing for 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 that team and uh, you know people bring up Mustakas and Grandal all the time and I'll, I'll bring up that you know neither of those guys are having fantastic offensive seasons although I think if they were back with the Brewers they might be having better seasons because there's some familiarity but there's no guarantee of that they could be having the same season or not the same season I think you're right Trent Grisham probably is having a different season in San Diego Zach Davies probably having a different season in, in say I think the 60 game season really benefits Zach Davies because he's somebody who has tended to get off to nice starts in the season and has kind of fallen off after after that but I I do get frustrated when people make a black and white argument that, well, player A is doing this here, so he would be doing this there. I, I, that's not true. Like the circ- scenery and circumstances and organizations and, and all that matters to what the final numbers end up being. Right. Uh, do you think Sonny Gray would be a near – the Cy Young pitcher, aside from this blow-up, like the August Sunny Gray, do you think he's that pitcher outside of the Reds organization? No, we saw that when he was not in the Reds. Like he was exactly he was, he was pretty good with Oakland, and then he was really bad with New York, and then he's really really good with Cincinnati, right. and I think it's largely because of Derek Johnson. Right, there's something DJ has to help Sunny Gray that a lot of other people don't have. Right, and I think it's very obvious. Um, and I think that's why he fought hard. We know that the Brewers were connected to him when DJ was here. And then suddenly the Reds go after him hard, get him and extend him. Obviously, that's because Derek Johnson had has something to help him. And the only way Sonny Gray succeeds is Derek Johnson's in that organization. If that is any other team or situation, I don't think that same thing happens unless that pitching coach happens to have that same 
one thing that Sonny Gray needs to do to find success. Right. So it's even we've seen the Brewers have somewhat worse success without Derek worse success without Derek Johnson. And the funny thing is, like, just talking about how these small changes impact player performance, it's not like the Brewers don't still have the same mentality that they had with Derek Johnson, right? He obviously said, like, hey, if we do this, this, this on the mound, we're going to be more successful. They kept that going. The the organization understands how that works and says, like, hey, it's worked for us in the past. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. But Without whatever the something he adds to it to make it that much more successful, it just hasn't quite been the impetus to domination that the pitchers had before he, his departure. So, if something that little can affect an organization, think about all the thousands of other things that happen in daily life and daily nature and everything else that can really lead into just personal productivity, personal comfort, personal um, belief in yourself and confidence and all those things that are are hard to account for. It's impossible to say how anyone would do in any other situation it's it's just the, those variables i think can be seen so easily but yet they're so underappreciated let me finish off with this um I, I don't know if you got the opportunity to see and hear what ryan braun said after the game on sunday i before he spoke on sunday i really felt like he would be back next season after he spoke i'm more 50 50 to me, it really felt like this was a guy who is absolutely at peace if Sunday was his final game that he ever plays at Miller Park. I don't know if he's necessarily at peace, more or less resigned to accept. I mean, Ryan Braun has been pretty adamant since he hit 10-5 and five that he basically only wants to play two places, right? Yeah. He wants to play in Milwaukee. Or he wants to play in his home for his home team and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And those are, or maybe it's the Padres, but like a coast team like that. No, it's the, it's the Dodgers. You were right. Yes. So the Dodgers, if there's any team in baseball who doesn't need an aging DH, it's the Dodgers. They have a stacked outfield. They, I mean, they're a team that can afford to chuck out Jock Peterson, and then they still have a depth problem. The Dodgers just do not need Ryan Braun, and they do not need to pay Ryan Braun. The Brewers might, but I think Ryan Braun's realistic that, A, he doesn't want to play, pay for her, play for nothing. He doesn't want to play just to play. I'm sure the game's getting harder on him every year. I'm sure the injuries are getting tougher to overcome every year. And he knows how this front office operates, right? Like, he, he's witnessed it for five seasons now. He knows that they're going to operate strictly by cost and production. So already being at $4 million in the books, once they decline his option, which they're going to do, I think he's very realistic that bringing him back and paying him money that he feels he is worth is not a likely thing that David Stearns is going to do. I don't think it's impossible. I think I don't think Ryan Braun thinks he's worth that $16 million option. I, but I think like the big thing is he's realistic. He knows that 
the Brewers are going to make the choice that they feel is correct and not the one that is sentimental. Doug Melvin might have made the sentimental choice. David Stearns is not making the sentimental choice. I disagree with you a little, Brad. Yeah? I disagree with you a little. We, We don't disagree on much, but I disagree with you on this one. Because quite honestly... Um, if Ryan Braun wants to be back next year with the Brewers, I think it's above Stearns. I think it goes straight to Atanasio, and they 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 figure it out. I don't know. I mean, I know they have a fantastic relationship, the one that, and maybe you know Ryan Braun can pretend to be David Stearns and go in and talk it, um, just do some like dis- master disguise work. But I feel like Atanasio has been hands off as promised with this i feel like he's been itching to do some moves and david stearns has been like nope i just i think i i can maybe i'm wrong and, and like i don't completely know the dynamic in there but i just based off the relationship that exists between braun and 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 not just mark atanasio but the atanasio family and what braun has meant to this organization i don't think it's a case of whether or not Braun feels like he's going to be compensated well enough to play another year. I think it's a question of if Braun wants to leave his family and, and, and deal with injuries and do all that sort of stuff. If he's hell-bent on pay, playing, he, Atanasio will pay him a number that will be good for both sides. Um, I, I, you have much more insight into that than I do. Ad- admittedly, you have much more. Yeah, I'm wrong a lot. That. I'm wrong a lot, but I, that's a, it's still my job to have opinions, and and that's my opinion <laughs> on that one. I I think that Adonazio has been fairly hands off, and that's why David Stearns has done some things that I I don't think. I mean, when Adonazio thought the team needed certain pitching, he was the one reportedly who really finalized the Kyle Loesch trade over Doug Melvin's head. Or not the trade, the signing. And I feel like when we're looking at a Craig Kimbrell, a Dallas Cagel sitting out there waiting to sign with someone last year and the Brewers have holes in their bullpen and holes in their starting pitching, I think that was the point where we saw like, okay, and to be fair, the pocketbooks were maxed out, I'm sure, to the point that he didn't want to spend any more money because he does need to make a profit on his billion-dollar toy. But that he didn't go in and try to like manipulate that situation, and he might have, but to the point that they were successful. Yeah, but those are baseball decisions. And David, David Stearns doesn't get emotional on baseball decisions. This isn't a baseball decision, Brad. This goes. This is an emotional decision. I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. I I think everyone understands it's a business, though. Like it, it is an emotional, but like. I think this it, transcends it, all that. I, I just do. I I think I think this. I think the only thing that matters is if Braun wants to play or not. If Braun wants to play next year, he's back with the Brewers. I don't know. It's really simple for me. I don't know. I okay. bet you wouldn't have predicted Brett Favre being shipped off to New York in 2008. Okay. <laughs> um, There's a lot of things I, about Brett Favre I probably couldn't have predicted. <laughs> that was also a substantially different scenario where you're not looking at an owner. You're looking at a heartless Ted Thompson who says, this will no longer be <laughs> fiscally responsible to our team winning, and then makes a cutthroat move. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm not fully convinced of your point. I think, he, but I don't think your point is invalid. I think Braun has some leverage in being a, a true friend, family friend of Mark Antonazio. I, I think that's a valid point that I haven't considered as much as I probably have should have up until this point or up until this conversation. But I still think that if David Stearns comes in and says, no, this is going to be bad for our team and here's the chart on why, I think Adonazio just bites his lip and lets it happen. Uh, also, I think part of it is like Ryan Braun is a business wants to be a businessman anyway and has had business. He wants to be like the smart negotiator, right? So he doesn't want to just say like, yeah, I'll be back. And then David Stearns comes out and signs him to a one year, $800,000 right. contract. Yeah, sure. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, he still wants to make money. Like we're not going to, I can't run away from that. Uh, I, ex- I've been guessing if he's back, it'll be on a one year, $5 million deal. That include or it, not include the buyout money he'll get? Not including the buyout money. So What's that'll the, be like a one-year, $9 million a year, or $9 million a year for Ryan Braun. I'd do it. And I, I think most people could be happy if the DH is back. Yeah. Which I think we're all pretty confident it will be. I, I, I'm disappointed, but yeah, I, th- I think it will. But that's another quest uh, conversation for another time. Uh, people listening to this, I'm sure they 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 know all about uh, Brew Crew Bobble. This is going to be a big week for you guys. Yeah, um, I think some things are happening with the team. I, I don't really know. Uh, I have heard of this podcast where you can go and listen to it. It's with my friend Matt Polly, and he can have a great conversation about apparently a big week with the Brewers with a pretty smart guy. But from my understanding is in that big week, you'll get a lot of features and breakdowns of how those things are going to kind of span out. Also, I'm going back and since the 16 game playoff allegedly is on the talk for not going away, which is very stupid. I will be going back and looking at all the Brewers teams that would have made it if a third of the league was or half the league was making the playoffs. I like that. Somebody said this past week, they said that, yeah, it stinks to go to 16, but if baseball does expand as expected at some point in the next five years or so, it's a little bit better. And I think I agree with that. Then do it when they expand, stupid Bob. Why do you why do you hate everything? Why do you hate everything? Like, and you're talking to Rob Manfred. You're not talking to me. You're talking to Rob Manfred. Yes, I'm okay. talking to Manfred. The thing is, Matt, I'm not even a baseball traditionalist, and the things he chooses piss me off. <laughs> like, I'm pro robot umps. I'm pro DH in the NL. I'm pro like. There's a lot of things that a lot of fans would be mad about that I'm pro. But one of the things I've hated about basketball for so long is that just so many teams make it in. That's fair. I'm not. I can't argue and, that. And then I have to watch. I don't know. Just it's stupid. And the three game series. I don't know. I don't mind. I don't. I think it's more fun when not the best team wins. So the three game series doesn't bother me as much as some other people. Uh, I, I like randomness. I like chaos. And I even made an argument that the Brewers might be better facing the Dodgers in a three-game series than fa- waiting to face them later on and having the eighth seed. Yeah. Um, because I think Woodruff and Burns are much more likely to get them two wins than 
uh, them to throw together three wins with the rest of the rotation. Absolutely, that, that's not even an argument. Like, clearly, the the they the the shorter the series, the better chance they have of beating the Dodgers. And wouldn't you rather do that earlier? Like, just get it out of the way. Yeah, get the Dodgers out of the way. Yep. And but. let them continue their streak of not winning a World Series in forever. Not forever, but you <laughs> or, get... Th- or the other scenario, which was pointed out to me on Milwaukee Stalegate, was right now, they if they take the next seed, they'll be facing Atlanta. But there's a possibility that Atlanta and Chicago could flop, or flip spaces. And it'd be pretty fun to take the Cubs out in the first series. Yeah, that would be fun. I agree. That would be, uh, that would be enjoyable. So... <laughs> And uh, the, the, uh, the travel and the you know feeling uncomfortable that that would not exist quite as much. Like there's less of a, not that there's much of a home field advantage this year, but if the Brewers are playing at Wrigley, that is less of a home field advantage for the Cubs than if the Brewers are playing in Atlanta, the Brewers are playing in L.A., the Brewers are playing in San Diego. In those other scenarios, I feel like their opponents have a better home field advantage. Doesn't the quote-unquote bubble start in round one? No, it starts in round two. Oh, shows you how much I pay attention. Top, I don't know. I just ignore half of what comes out of Rob's mouth. Top four seeds host, and then you go to the bubble. All right. Yeah. Oh, I did see that. That's right. Because like one of the games, yeah. Yep. They were talk- like there were there was the talk of the one game being like a home game for the other team, but they were like no home field advantage gets the series. Yeah, don't overthink it. Just let the home tell like, this year just let them yeah. post it. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's the benefit, right? Yeah, whatever. It's fine. If that's something that people are going to get upset about, then they got too much time on their hands. Whatever. I would love to watch Ryan Braun just smack home runs all over Wrigley. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> all right, Brad. Thank you as always, and we'll do this again very very soon. Can't wait. Hopefully it's celebrating uh, Brewers' victory over either the Dodgers or the Cubs in the playoffs. Brett Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Here's what's going to be coming up this week for the Brewers. Three-game series against Cincinnati, a team that they are currently in a virtual tie with uh, as they go into the Monday opener. The pitching matchup on Monday, Brandon Woodruff going for the crew, and Luis Castillo, he is going to go for Cincinnati. Brett Anderson scheduled to pitch game two on Tuesday. Sonny Gray goes for Cincinnati. And the third game on Wednesday, Adrian Hauser against uh, Trevor Bauer. If the Brewers win those first two games, you would think that Hauser would stay in that spot. But if that's the if that's the decider of that series, that's going to be a tough uh, decision for Craig Council. If they maybe try to move Corbin Burns up for that game or if they just stick with the status quo. And then they'll go into that series against uh, St. Louis beginning on Thursday night. Friday is the doubleheader game before single games again on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, You can hear all the games on WTMJ except next Sunday, the regular season finale. I believe that's going to be on 94.5 ESPN because of the uh, conflict with the Packers. And, of course, you can listen to uh, my postgame show, Brewers Extra Innings, immediately following the network broadcast uh, on WTMJ or streaming at WTMJ.com. The stream goes live after the network broadcast wraps up. My appreciation to Brad Ford for joining us. My appreciation to you for being tuned in. And we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. 
For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.